Hey, this is Ryan Chapman, and today we have the special privilege of being able to talk to a good friend of mine, someone who I deeply respect because of not only his expertise and knowledge, but what he's accomplished. Ollie Bilston and I met, I think, like five or six or seven years ago. I don't know. It's been I lost track of time. Ollie, how long has it been? It's been a it's been a long time. Uh, I thought time was supposed to go fast when you're having fun. Maybe that's what's happened. Oh, that's probably what it is. I think Facebook told me that we've known each other on Facebook for six years just the other day. Sounds about so, accurate. That sounds about right. Ollie and I first met at an Icon event, an Infusionsoft event, I think. And we got yeah. to chatting. We had a mutual friend over from the UK and you know, kind of met each other that way and then started chatting and realized that philosophically, we were on the exact same page on a lot of things beyond business. And so we just kind of hit it off immediately. And then, you know, our careers have kind of gone the way that they've gone, but, you know, they've intersected again. And so there's a, some really cool stuff that Ollie's doing that, you know, I think is really powerful. And Ollie, like recently you had an event here near me. I'm in Tucson now, and it was up in Chandler, Arizona. How did that go? Yeah, it was awesome. We've been doing some of these events this year. We started out back in April uh, in San Diego and ran a two-day event there, uh, which was really successful. And then we ran another one on the back of that one in Toronto. And then again in Austin. And this was the fourth one. This was the final one this year in Phoenix. Uh, actually, at Infusionsoft's head office. We decided to host it there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was super successful. I, I really enjoyed doing those events, actually, Ryan. Unfortunately, I had scheduling conflicts that prevented me from coming to any of the first three, which I was hoping to get to at least one of them. But unfortunately, you know, I, we had scheduling conflicts again for this last one, but I was able to make it up at least for uh, one day. And I, th- I was really impressed with the content that you were teaching, the people that were there. Uh, I talked to some people at a break, and they were just blown away by what they were learning. And so it felt like there was a lot of, of change happening for the better with the people that were attending. Yeah. And also there was a real diverse range of people there. Oh yeah. Yeah. From people that were, you know, starting, growing, scaling, even once somebody that's just kind of getting their business kind of prepared for actually selling. Actually, this particular event was called Next Level Business Live. And the the whole idea, the big idea behind the event, which if you're running an event, by the way, you should probably have a big idea or a theme at least um, for doing it, is the, the steps that I've taken over the past 12 or so years of growing four separate businesses. And I kind of distilled down four key pillars, I guess, to growing and, and scaling those businesses to uh, seven figures and beyond. Um, well, I don't think you can give that kind of comment and not at least touch on the four pillars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. people are going, Wait, he's done this four times and these are the four common things and now yeah. he's not going to say You have to probably share what those four are. I, I, I know I my will. curiosity is peaked. Okay. Yeah. The funny thing is, though, is that I've got to be completely honest and just uh, be transparent with you. I didn't didn't actually figure out that these were the four commonalities um, until like about three years ago. If I'd have known this like back when I first started the, the first business or the second business, then, you know, potentially we, we, we might even be talking about even more success yeah. because 
of these things have actually been born out of failure, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. It's only of, of recent times I've been able to kind of go like, oh, these are the actual things. Oh, and this is what we actually did. Oh, that's, there's a commonality here, you know. I'm, I'm going to take a brief, like, sidebar on that, though, because you mentioned the word failure, and I think it's a word that has a lot of ramifications for a lot of people in different areas, but, you know, particularly in business, right? And I was thinking about this because my son has, one of my sons has an F and it's going to prevent him from playing basketball, you know? And I was like, how do you have an F? You're a really smart kid. It turned out there's just a major assignment and he didn't turn it in. And so once he turns it in, he won't have an F anymore, but that's what he had. And I thought, you know, it's interesting if somebody gets an F in school, sometimes that can become a brand, you know, just like a brand on an animal, you know, and it can sear into the the spirit, so to speak. And suddenly it starts to define experiences. So I wanted to make sure that didn't happen for him because it could, right? Especially at a young and impressionable age. And so I explained to him that the F stands for feedback. And mm, you know, my brother and I had a conversation about this a long time ago to my brother, Sean, and we were talking about failure. And failure, you know, is is a feedback mechanism that teaches you something that wasn't on target to where you're trying to go. And so I'm sure that as you've, you started to deduce these four things, it's through all these experiences where these failures or feedback mechanisms told you, Hey, that's the wrong direction, go in this direction. And then after accumulating all these different feedback experiences, you were able to identify, Oh, Hey, there's a path here. And the path, includes these four items. Now, if I use these four items in other people's businesses or a new one of mine or the existing ones I have, I'm going to actually see success a lot quicker and in higher levels than I would have if I didn't know these four pathways from the feedback that pushed me towards them. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, it's funny you say that, that, and I think it's a really good distinction, especially for him and really anybody who's listening. But one of the things that you know, I'm a big believer in it and know where you are as well, is systems thinking, yeah. having predictability and consistency in your business to kind of choreograph these experiences for leads and customers and, and in doing so creating this, these processes. And here's the thing about a system. A system is, is, is made up of four key component parts uh, these aren't the four pillars, but they, this is the four parts of a system. The first is an input, like you have to have an input. And then there's a process, which is the second part of the system. And then the third part is an output. And then the most important part of the system is something called the feedback loop. And the feedback loop yeah. comes from the output all the way back around to the, to the input. And the, the idea is, is that a, a system or an algorithm or, or, or really any form that goes with this is that you need the feedback loop to continually iterate on your product, your service, the experience and everything that you have, either is but, part of this or probably part of life, you know? Well, that's interesting, too, because my daughter, she's attending college right now, and uh, she was she had just come back for a break. We're going to pick up my son or no, my son's fiance, my son and his fiance. And so uh, we were chat chatting about life, you know, and its complexity and and how um, people get so rigid in a thought pattern and then they won't come out of it. And really, if you look at all successful life forms and I judge something as being successful as it still exists right 
the, what they have in common is their ability to adapt to changing circumstances. And so that feedback loop is critical. And if you look at, so I actually went pre-dental in school because I was going to be a dentist. Thankfully, I didn't. No offense to dentists, but that's just wouldn't have been good for me because of my banana hands. You know, <laughs> I think it would have been uncomfortable for everyone. All that being said, so I started doing, I was a pre, pre-dental, so I was taking biology and chemistry and you know, I was learning all these mechanisms that are part of the fundamental parts of you know, organisms that live. And what you see in them is they all have feedback loops. And when those feedback loops work, they're able to adapt to changing circumstances. When they don't work, then that's when you find disease and breakdown occurring. And so in your mind as well, you have to be able to have those. And in your business, it's really critical. You have to be able to establish feedback loops in this process so you can iterate because iteration is the key to, to success in the long term. I think that brings up something that you and I discussed because um, Ollie invited me to be on the stage for a moment. We had a little fireside chat, so to speak. And one of the things that's been on my mind, you know, since I've been working with thousands of business owners over the, the past decade is that how, why does one business survive and another one fail? And the only thing that I can figure out that is at the core of it. And there, of course, this is just one of the symptoms, not necessarily the cause, but that symptom that's in common with all businesses that fail is failure of cash flow, right? They don't have enough cash flow. And I was just thinking about this when I was writing my book, uh, Would You Like to Go Big?, which is all about upsells. It, it was, I was thinking about this concept of if, a, like for me in my own businesses that I've worked in, this is true for you because you just expressed it. But as you're growing that business, you don't know everything you need to know to make that business successful when you start. And that's true for just about everybody, you know, unless they have a mentor and then they're kind of hacking the system, which is fantastic. But if you don't have that mentor, if you're trying to figure this out on your own, then inevitably what happens is, is you're going to make mistakes. And if those mistakes impact your ability to have cash flow, then you go out of business. But not all business, you know, not all mistakes impact cash flow. But if they do, then you're toast. So you, what you have to do is figure out how do I maintain good enough cash flow to be able to learn the lessons I need to. And that's why I like getting a mentor is such a hack because it lets you circumvent having to learn this through the school of hard knocks alone. And if you have a system and a process that facilitates that learning and can allow you to iterate, that's super powerful. And that's why I feel like, um, and I interrupted you, so you're going to go into you know, the four pillars, but I feel like your four pillars must be one of these, I hate calling it a hack because that sounds like it's not good, but it is a shortcut, so to speak, to the pathway to success because you don't have to explore the whole territory. You can just explore this path that these pillars are along and, you know, work your way through that versus having to work your way through the whole expanse of what there is to do in a business. Yeah, definitely. I think I definitely agree with what you're saying as far as having mentorship being a big part of that and being able to to cut through the clutter and to be sharply focused on the things that are actually going to move the dial in your business, which a mentor will help you do because they've already been there before. They've already trodden that path before you. And I think the truth is, unfortunately, there is a, a large population of business owners that have like diseased thinking when it comes to making those investments. And if you think about all the things well, in, in, in life, well, it's easy to understand. <laughs> you know, other than yeah, even those, you know, you think people buy big TVs and they, you know, they they take out expensive higher purchase or leases on cars and you know all of these 
these things that they buy that doesn't actually make them any money. And, and then when it comes down to investing in their business and getting a mentor, they, they feel they're not ready yet. Nobody yeah. wants to take any food off their table. Don't get me wrong. That's not what this is about. But you know, if you're a serious business owner and, and, and actually the first pillar that we're going to talk about actually plays well with what I'm just about to say is that you've got to begin with the end in mind. And if, you, if you're clear on where you're trying to go, then it's much easier then to assemble the things that you need to get there. And one of those things is definitely mentorship for sure. I didn't get that at first, by the way, like hands held high. I did not get that. I kind of was one of those weird people that had, you know, kind of done everything myself. I thought, in fact, actually, that was my disease thinking. I thought I had to do everything myself. And that was a big epiphany for me when I realized that that's not how you grow a real business, let alone. I think I think I suffered from that in in some regards, like I I was raised in, you know, Trent's probably talked to you about this before, but we were, we were raised with a lot of, you know, self-improvement type voices around us, you know, hearing the Jim Rounds and maybe someone like a Brian Tracy or the guy that wrote the E-Myth. And so you have all these different things that we were hearing as teenagers and young 20s and stuff. But for me, I had to have a painful experience before I fully realized the value of having a mentor. And for me, it was I raised money from friends and family for this business idea that the architect that designed the house I just built you know, came to me and said, hey, I got this idea. Let's do this. He knew I was entrepreneurially minded. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. And so I raised some money with friends and family. We hired a developer to, to build this software that we needed. I didn't know how to market at that time, so I hired a marketing consultant and we did some, made some mistakes and the developer ended up quitting on us. Uh, so I had to learn how to code in order to finish that project. The six months after we hired the marketing consultants for $20,000, they came back to us with a postcard that offered a free dinner, at which point we were totally out of money. So I was like, shoot, I don't know what I'm doing. And kind of, you know, fortunately had a, a few things happen that, the kind of bailed me out of that situation in a sense, but the education was still very sharp and stinging that I needed help and I didn't know what I needed to know. And it wasn't going to work just to hire some people for that key component of marketing. And it wasn't the first failed business I was part of either. So, you know, these lessons had kind of stacked on top of each other rather rapidly. And so it was at that point that I met the very first mentor that I let in that was outside of my relatives because I'd had relative mentors before that, but you know, they taught me what they knew and it wasn't the part that I needed still, which was the, the marketing and sales component. I needed to really understand that. And so I met this mentor. I had no income at the time, but I knew I needed help. And so I let him take me by the credit card and start to teach me some things that I needed to know. And I'm eternally grateful to that mentor because, and that was Travis Tolstrap. And if, if I hadn't met Travis and he hadn't taught me the beginning of direct response marketing and marketing automation, which in turn teaches you to think in a process systems format, right? I don't know where I would be, but I'm sure it wouldn't be as good as what I experience right now. And so, you know, I think those lessons are really poignant for me and everybody has to get there in their own way. I think where, they realize, you know, I do need help. I need somebody besides myself to figure out what the next stage is for my growth and development. Yeah, absolutely. You actually just reminded me of a 
uh, a story about how I actually, a lot of people think who, who have, sp- have heard me speak about kind of how I got into the, this world from becoming like being a high performance tennis player, starting my first business at 15 years old and building these computers and then going into starting my following my passion for cars and, and starting several car businesses in the aftermarket automotive business. One of the, and, and the, my discovery into direct response marketing with Dan Kennedy, just like you, actually uh, one of the, the things that happened before that was, and you mentioned Brian Tracy and it just kind of just sparked my memory was before I got into direct response, which now would be like nearly 13 years ago, <laughs> There used to be a television program on Sky. We have like your cable over there in the US. Like yeah. we have this this Sky, right? And um, they had a program, like a channel on there that was like one of the last channels. It was like channel 991 or something. And <laughs> it was called the, and it was like the entrepreneur channel. And the, there was this really on budget set, you know, really kind of low production quality program that aired that just repeated itself and there was a few people that went on that program and one of them was brian tracy and of course brian would had this kind of infomercial and he was selling a box set called the psychology of selling and you know i always saw this this thing and i always used to just watch it i don't know what it was it was kind of you know the classic thing of watching these infomercials they kind of get you you know hooked and if you pay attention close enough you kind of get to figure out what they're doing you know i you know i was found it fascinating and um somebody who was good friends of mine i went to go and visit him one day and I, uh, I I think we were going to a rugby match over here in the UK, and he um, he said, "I'll oh, move all of this this stuff off the front seat of the car." And there was all of these CDs. I mean, like these box sets of CDs, and it was the Psychology of Selling by Brian Tracy, which was the exact program that I'd seen, you know, over some time on the TV. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, what are you doing with this?" And he was really embarrassed like really embarrassed. He was quite a bit older than me, you know, at the time, but, you know, I would have been just turning 20 years old and he would have been sort of late thirties. And he was like, um, oh, nothing. (laughs) He's always super old. He was quite a bit older than me then. I mean, you know, now it's different. And he, uh, and he was like really embarrassed about it. And, and I was like, no, I've, I've seen this stuff. And he sort of looked at me a bit strangely and I was like, no, I'm, I'm interested. What are you listening to? Is it good? Like, I've really not really heard of much of this stuff before, but this guy's telling you how to sell to people. Isn't that cool? And he was like, yeah, it's cool. It's all right. You know, it's kind of hard going and stuff. I was like, could I borrow one of the CDs? And he was like, well, okay. You, yeah, no, no worries. Anyway, I, I listened to this CD on the way home from the match. And I was like it went by so fast i remember and i just was like this is amazing like you can actually learn people are teaching this stuff like they're telling you how to make money basically you know in simple terms i'm like i've got to buy this you know actually i think that was probably one of my you know first info products that i bought actually before i kind of got into you know direct response and 
learning copywriting and other stuff. You know, that was really the first thing, actually learning sales first. And psychology of selling was actually one of the first things that I bought. Oh, fascinating. Well, you know, I yeah. think that, that then illustrates that whole point of you, you do need mentors. Mentors come in very different, various different forms. Like I mentioned Travis Tolstrup because he was like a physical guy in my environment, you know, and I was going to meetings with him that, you know, he was putting on and I was helping because I wanted to learn. And so I was like, well, the best way to learn is to help as well. And so, you know, I got really involved in that. But at the same time, like you mentioned, he introduced me to Dan Kennedy. Now, I'm, I'm not like a celebrity type person. You know, I could really care less about anybody that's quote unquote famous. And if they were like right next to me, I'd be like, hey, and, you know, it's not like I have to shake their hand or I would even think it was a big deal. And I've met celebrities and stuff, and they're just people like you and I. And so whatever they're doing, maybe something more than other people. And that's great. And I think. You know, there's something probably to learn there, but I'm not, I don't fawn over him if that makes any sense. And so, you know, I've had chances to shake Dan's hand and stuff and, you know, I appreciated that, but I never really felt like any urge to do consulting with him directly. So I took all my consulting with him just through his products, you know, so he, he was a mentor through the products versus through in person. I think that that's an important distinction for people to get too. if, you know, you're in that position. Cause as you were telling your story, I was thinking back to uh, 2001 and like, okay, 2001, I had just, I had this job that I thought was going to be the, the end of my education, so to speak. I was going to learn everything I needed to learn and it was going to be awesome. And then that job evaporated and suddenly, you know, I was unemployed and unemployable and I had to figure some mm-hmm. stuff out. I remember listening to this video and reading this sales letter from some Southern dude, you know, turns out, I think it was Frank Kern, but this was 2001. Right. And, and as, as I was listening to the video and I was reading the sales copy, I'm like, something's going on here. Like, I feel compelled to spend money I don't have. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I got to learn what this guy is doing. Cause that sounds like that'd be a really valuable skill, you know? And I, I didn't buy the product because I didn't have any money at the time. Like I said, I was unemployed and, you know, I had three children at home to pay for and stuff like that. So it's kind of rough going. So I was scrapping. But that was like when I first got introduced to this whole concept of direct response marketing, but I didn't quite know it. I wonder how many people, you know, that are listening today are in that same boat where they've seen some stuff, they felt some things and they think that there's a general direction they should go. But the the timing maybe just hasn't been right. Maybe until now, you know what I mean? Cause if, it, if I think back into that time, I, you know, I wanted that the guy that there's a guy that let me do some work for him. And I was like, Hey, your business model is amazing. Would you mind if I started teaching people about your business model? And so I gave him my first attempt at info marketing before I knew that's what it was, you know, and I failed yeah, miserably. Yeah. It was miserable. Like I had a guy walk out cause I did a live thing at a hotel and a guy walked out and said, this is lame. Did you even practice this on your dog? I was like, ah, <laughs> it was terrible. You know, it was very discouraging. And so, you know, I kind of put that on the shelf and didn't go any further with it at the time. Also eBay contacted me, gave me a cease and desist letter. And so that was, that was interesting too. And I was like, oh, you know, and so it wasn't the right time, I guess. But then, you know, fast forward to 2006, 2007, and then that's when my journey that I'm on now really started. And so I think, you know, as, as people are listening, that's something to keep in mind. You know, when the time is right, the, the person will appear, then you got to take action, right? I didn't really have those mentors show up back in 2001, but I saw hints of something that I knew was going to be important for me. 
And it wasn't until yeah, you know, five, six years later that the, the mentor showed up. Because I met Travis playing a game of bas- pickup basketball. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was a Facebook ad, which really didn't exist then, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> you know, some newspaper clipping or, you know, a radio ad or anything like that. I met a guy playing basketball. I asked him a couple of questions because I was interested in correlation between performance on the court and what people did, you know, off the court. And, you know, that opened the door that ended up changing my world. And so it's interesting how, you know, that may happen for people that find, you know, this interview that we're doing, this chat is, you know, they may come across it and then suddenly they're like, oh, mentors, I need one. And I think that's yeah, so interesting. Well, the other thing is, is like live events, you know, a lot of the time, certainly this year when we've been doing these live events, you know, you get to to hear, well, I, I get to hear kind of downstream from, from, from my team, you know, the reasons why people wouldn't come to a live event and yeah. why they can't make the next event, for example. And, you know, usually there's some diseased thinking that happens there as well because yeah. It's Do you want to talk about any of yeah. those? Because I feel like I, I know we'll, yeah. we'll get to your four pillars hopefully before. If we don't, we'll get into them in another episode. But yeah, there is. I, I think that that's a critical thing, and we kind of decided when we were talking about doing this interview that we would let it go where it went because I feel like that would be more valuable for people that were listening. And you know, if they don't like it, that's okay. I'm getting something out of it. I think. You know, my daughter who does the editing will get something out of it. So we'll at least have two people. Sure. Yeah, no, but definitely. <laughs> talk talk yeah. about that. Well, to just preface the conversation, I personally have had the biggest breakthroughs in my business by not being in my business. Yeah. Meaning I was working on my business. I was outside of the environment that I go to day to day i went to a live event and something fundamentally shifted it changed it either changed my thinking there was not that i've ever really lacked motivation but the the fact of being around other like-minded people uh, you know and people that were raising the bar really made me feel you know, a lot less alone, which it can be super lonely running your own sure. business. So you kind Especially of feel that. From you know, and you yeah, absolutely. In your, in your home, you can get that. Yeah. Way. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I remember, you know, going back to 2011, 2012, you know, flying to America for, for the first time to go to an event, specifically a, a marketing event that you know i i didn't really quite know what i expected and there was a thousand reasons why i shouldn't go um, sure. that i could have come up honestly there was you know just like you just talking about direct response there you know reading the sales letter for that event there was something that compelled me to moved me to take action and i did and sometimes uh, actually, that just is a side note to the conversation. As a as a business, you're in the business of of marketing, obviously. And I say that as saying that as in like obviously as like a throwaway <laughs> comment. But you absolutely are if you're listening to this and, and wondering about that. 
and so you you have to get people to to move to take action and you know sometimes that can be perceived in a negative way sometimes it can be executed in the wrong way as well you can easily miss execute on something or some advice but you know this is a very good example of that. So it got me to take action on something that I could have come up with an excuse. So basically, it nullified all of my objections. It basically took care of some of my surface level uh, objections. It it, it well, my let, let me interject there because I, I I feel like you're almost giving too much credit to the copy, right? Like so. Direct response marketing does have to be good and it does have to address concerns and all that. But there's also something that is in you that activated yes, yeah. in hearing this yeah. and, and something in you that said, in spite of the thousand reasons I could come up with to not be there, I'm going to be there. And I think there is a certain special piece inside of the person who's able to overcome their internal dialogue that is diseased thinking, which we all experience because we've all been raised by imperfect people who hopefully loved you, but nevertheless are imperfect. And so we all get some diseased thinking as we grow up. Some of it may not come from the people within the four walls that we grow up with. Some of it may come from well-meaning teachers or not well-meaning teachers or, you know, other mentors or, or people that we didn't realize that we looked up to who said stuff that got in our head and maybe it was out of context or maybe it was misunderstood or maybe it was understood exactly how it was said, but it was wrong, you know, and, and that in spite of all of that, to overcome all of those hurdles and to push through, because I mean, like we're, we're holding an event in January, my son who recently got back from his mission for our church, you know, he's doing calls for us to, you know, users of fix your funnel, inviting them to this event in January. And it's in Tustin, which is near Anaheim, you know, by Disneyland, that area. And, you know, there's been some people, oh, I can't make it, you know, I'm, that's too far. And I think about that in the context of you talking about this event coming over to the States. I've made the, the, <laughs> the flight to London. It is long, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and it's not cheap either. And so, I mean, when somebody makes that kind of commitment to come that far, that has to be more than just the copy. It has to be something activated within you that says, you know, I recognize that, that my life won't really change if I continue to do what I've done. Cause I, and I think that's yeah. something people don't realize is that interestingly enough, most of what we do is almost on, on autopilot and we run off of autopilot based on whatever our installed programs are, so to speak. So there, there are certain mindsets we have certain beliefs that we have, and then certain processes that we've become comfortable running and the results that we're getting are directly correlated to those three things. And if none of those three things change, not all of them have to change, but at least one of them would have to change in order for our outcomes to change. You have to do something different. And I think that live environment is critical because you've got, you have to get out of where your mind is in background automated process mode. You know, you have to get almost into an environment where you might feel a little uncomfortable because in that uncomfortable moment is where you create a gap that's big enough for new ideas to be able to get in and to start to create some new results. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, I've always naturally been a, a resource investigator. That seems to have served me well. And what I, do you I mean by that? The, so I think really a resource investigator is a, is a profile of person who will naturally be curious and naturally ask questions to be able to seek the answers that they need to to move themselves forward or, or or either their business there's a lot of information out there 
and I've always been able to continually invest in my education in consuming a lot of information to kind of figure out and decipher what are the key philosophies and principles around some of this teaching that I can then make I can actually apply and I just think naturally that that comes to me I don't just call a you know just see something for what it is I I think being a resource investigator is something that you see the facts in some things and and that can be data driven i think naturally that's what i i lead to i find things that are more philosophical more difficult to deal with and i'm sure some resource investigators you know find that to be okay as well i like to dig down to and who go to the who just not what what's the what but also go to the who and really just go to every single area of any given subject and, and really pull it apart and really analyze it to, to draw up my own hypothesis for, for what, uh, for what. So people like you it. though, can also be resources for people who aren't that way. Then people who are like, okay, you've dived deep into this topic. You've, you know, taken the thing apart and put it back together 20 times. Tell me how it works. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's two strands to that. The first is there's definitely an element of that 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 somebody could get a huge, insane amount of value from and shortcut the time that it would take them to do the same things as I have. But then in many other cases as well, I've actually gone the step to actually execute on those things that I've learned and actually put them in place and then also yeah. seen the results of those things. Um, well, isn't that case, like... The fullness of the learning. You, you got to go through that whole process. Yeah. You've actually got to apply, yeah. see what doesn't work, and then figure out what does before you actually say, okay, I understand how this thing works. Yeah, I mean, you can synthesize and simplify and put frameworks around a lot of other people's thinking, but it's not until you actually use those things in anger, like they're embedded into a business that you actually realize what needs improvement what works what doesn't work and and you know if it worked what the results that we had and how could we improve it you know there's a lot of a lot there really so i think we've come back to that a couple of times but let's let's step one step back because i asked you a question and then we moved past it and i want to ask it again which is what are some of the disease thinking that keeps people from getting the mentorship that they need and in particular you're talking about showing up to a live event which i really feel is the most effective way to learn some things. I mean, cause a lot of people like, you know, as information distributors like to do online stuff like webinars and, you know, what have you, the main reason for that, just so people know that I haven't, you know, experienced all the different options is it's the cheapest, right? Um, if I can yeah. distribute my information online, that's the cheapest. It's not the most effective yeah. though, because it, it no. usually doesn't get consumed fully. There's just other things going on. Live isolates learning, you know, and as a result, also, it, there's, I think there's something that happens in the physical environment when two people are together that allows the transmission of information at much higher rates and the actual understanding to occur in a way that can't happen online or even over a podcast. I mean, I think we get a lot out of the podcast because it's a long format. That's why I do have a, a podcast that's really short. I think that's fine for some little things, but for really important things, I think you have to go deep. You got to go long. And, you mm. know, the, the live event allows you the necessary focus to be able to go deep and long on those things that are really important. But yeah, what are, think what are the disease thinkings? You yeah, can well, I think, yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, for me, 
you you know hearing these things they generally boil down to a number of different things first is i don't have time so the business owner is working 80 to 100 hours a week in their business they can't step away from their business that's an interesting signal isn't it though Mm. well it says a lot more about them than it does you you know, <laughs> you know when when uh, when sure. somebody says no i don't have time to to come and learn uh, about how i could solve the exact my current situation you know well, um, yeah let's if you don't mind let's dissect each one of these because i think it's helpful for people that you know maybe struggling with some of them because what let's hear your thoughts on that first what what does it tell you when someone says, I don't have time, I'm working like 80, 100 hours. Like, I just, I really don't have time to be coming and doing this. The thing is, and I guess I have the benefit of saying this from a place of, you know, not, not coming across egotistical or trying to impress anybody. But what I would say is if you are working 80 to 100 hours a week, that is not a sustainable way for you to grow a business. So you might be working 80 to 100 hours a week this week or maybe next week, but you can't continue that. It's not running a business is, is, is a marathon. It's not, it's not a sprint. Sure, you can work in short sprints or stints to get something done. And sometimes in business that's required. I'm not saying that it, it isn't, but the objection for not attending an event because you know you don't have time to attend the event is the very reason why you you should be attending because <laughs> your current situation is is not it's allowing you it's to not run sustainable. A real business. Yeah, yeah, you can't run a real I, business. I, you know, I like to explore the the emotional elements of that too because I think it's it comes from a place of real fear as well. Because there's this fear when you're in that spot. Because you know you've been in it. I, I think I've been in it where you feel like you're in that spot. There is a certain part of it that is a badge of honor when people talk about working tremendous hours in their business, which is a, a misunderstanding. I think of some concepts that they've heard before of hustle and work. And I'm a hard worker. You know, I, I work long and hard. You know, I really put in the hours. These things can be perceived as being honorable things, things that are good. I think it's a misunderstanding of a core concept or principle, and it's actually not good. I feel like if that's the way that the business is running, then that's because you're at a, a handicap of information and understanding about how businesses work and how money works. That kind of situation may, like you're saying, maybe once or twice is going to be happening if, if you're in a certain circumstance where you've made promises you have to keep. But if that's an ongoing situation, that's a good sign that you're doing it wrong. You know, and it's not an honorable thing at all. In fact, it's a sign that you're kind of stupid because you continue to do something dumb for a long time. And I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings by saying that, but I want to be honest. If someone finds themselves in that position and they're like, yeah, dude, I, I really put in the hours. It's like not something to be proud of. It's something to fix. Mm. You know, well, it, they're probably... And- I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that they're in, in, in any business, it doesn't matter what business you're in, there's certain challenges that every business faces as they grow. It, you know, between zero to 100K, there's, there's one strategy, really, for the business. And there's a, there's a few different tactics. And those tactics, usually, to try and get to six figures, is around sales, don't not beat sure. around the bush. 
really it's about sales that that's that's you need to you need to not even master the art of sales you just need to sell and you know uh, part of selling is having a you know a, a a product that the market wants and understanding and identifying who those people are they're fragments of selling but ultimately you need sure. to sell and then like between 100k and you know half a million it's really then more about marketing and it's really understanding lead generation and you know doing all the things that we know you can do in leveraging advertising and and moving advertising into marketing and marketing into sales and having a loop there and then it's about systemizing the marketing and the sales together to get you to seven figures really if we just broad stroke this and just say between zero to a million it's about sales marketing and systems it really is. And yeah. I'd find anybody, they'd struggle to argue with me over that. Beyond seven figures, going into multiple seven figures, it becomes about people and leadership and uh, moving from operator to CEO. That's a different set of skills and tactics and strategy that has to happen at that level. But here's the thing, that the guy that can't attend the event because he can't take the time away from his business when you break down the, the key things that he has to do to move his business forward, to allow him or even for him to feel as if he can do that, it's probably one advertising source, it's one funnel, and it's one sales mechanism. That mm-hmm. is it. And, and, and it doesn't have to be any more complicated than those three things. And most people, unfortunately, succumb to feeling like they have to do a lot of things. But all of that activity of them trying to implement stuff or not even working on the right stuff, that's a whole different conversation, that doesn't actually move their business forwards. Well, I feel like that's at the core, though, of I regretted saying you're stupid, but you know, not you specifically, but people that are working 800 hour weeks or whatever. But the long and short of it is, what are they doing with all that time? And at the end of the day, they're spending it on the wrong activities, right? They've misunderstood mm-hmm. something. Because people will get all crazy about talking about, you need this many systems or processes. You need to look at all these different metrics. And I frequently will run into people who don't have a business that deserves metrics. And that may sound funny, but a business has to deserve metrics. I don't feel like you start tracking everything on a beginner business, you track one thing, what's revenue? <laughs> and one other right. thing, what's expense? Is the difference enough that we can keep moving forward? You know, that's about it. And if you're tracking anything else at that stage, you're, you're probably doing it wrong in my opinion, right? But that's just me. So you've got, yeah. but I feel like you don't, you don't have enough to go on and you've got to make sure that you understand what you're working on. And so Someone in that stage, the best thing they could possibly do is to step away from the zoo just for a minute, get out of the circus for a day or two, even though you don't feel like you can afford to do it. And if you do it with the right people, that would be the best day you stepped out of the circus ever because suddenly you could find out, shoot, I've been wasting 80% of my 80 hours a week on things that don't even make a difference because usually that's yeah. the case, my observation. Most of well, what also at eight, doing extremely eighty extremely busy isn't going to make a difference. Yeah, and at 80 to 100 hours a week, the word that will be ringing in your ears is isolation. 
you will you either either isolated and alienated yourself from other people around you because i can guarantee you that if you're working that hard there's probably not other people in the business also doing 80 to 100 hours a week you probably alienate yourself around those people, push those people away. Or if you are in a situation where you're, if maybe you've got a business partner and you're both working, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week, you're probably working in isolation from each other. That's not a good thing. You know, coming to a live event actually can be the the beginning of a new chapter for a lot of people because they see that there is a different way to the way that they've been doing things. They've invested the time and they're going to pay attention in what's happening at that event. And they've invested to come to the event, which is a, the next thing on my, my list of, I can't afford to come to the event, not just in, in terms of time, I can't afford to come, but I can't afford to actually buy a ticket to the event, which most of the time, you know, if a ticket is, you know, $500, you know, or even $1,000. And, you know, we're talking, you know, my event and, you know, other events that are out there, you know, it's, it's fairly low barrier to entry. But, you know, even a, even a ticket price that was $1,500 or so, obviously there's, there has to be some deliverables there. There has to be, you know, something that is going to provide some value in, in exchange for that investment but i mean this is this is such a small amount <laughs> in the bigger scheme of things in that situation because if we look at my circumstances when i allowed travis tolstrup to take me by the credit card start leading me around the reason it was a credit card is because i didn't have money or an income <laughs> right but i knew i couldn't i yes i couldn't afford to attend the event like i he had me go okay we got to go out to this event in chicago yeah i could not afford to attend the event but i also could not afford not to because i had realized at that point that that investment was critical and you know i'm the oldest of 13 so i have a lot of younger siblings and when it comes to education what i tell them is you are going to get an education one way or another right one way or another you have to get an education before you can do well for yourself and so the question mm. is what education is that going to be? You have to choose. You have to choose. Because if you don't choose, then life chooses for you. And the education life doles out if you're not choosing is much more difficult than if you choose. So you have to get an education to improve your circumstances. There is, that is the best investment you can possibly make. Now, you should make it wisely, to your point. But I found even if you go to an event that isn't the best event, there's something you're going to learn there. And because you're out of your yeah. environment... There's something you're going to take away that's going to make your life better. If I find that the event just isn't really doing well for me, I find the most successful person at the event and I start talking to them. I will get, yeah. see, that's because I, I learned at some point that my education was my responsibility. It was not the teachers. It was not the professor. It was not the guru. It is my responsibility. I will extract out of any situation what I can extract out of it to learn to become a better person. And to be able to do better for those I love and care about and to serve people at a higher level. So my education is my responsibility. That means I go out and I get it, right? And so, you know, I think that's an important mindset as well. You have to realize, yeah, you can't afford it, but you more than you can't afford it, you can't afford not to. Because if you continue yeah. to go the yeah. direction you're going, you're not going to ever be able to afford it. 
because the reason you can't afford something is because your education is insufficient to get you the revenue that you need, the value that you need. You're not producing enough value because you don't have anything to give that's worth that. And so if you're in a position where you can't afford it, you almost have to go. And that, that seems weird, but you know, there's only three things that I would recommend well, four things that I would recommend debt for. And then the fourth one is with some caveats. One is education. Two is for a way to get around because you can't have yourself not be able to get around. And the third is a place to live. You know, if you're going to do debt, those are the three places. The fourth one would be for business, but that would only be once somebody knows what they're doing. I would never encourage anybody to go into debt for business, you know, like take a business loan if they have no clue what they're doing. At the very least, you better have a mentor that does. But those, you know, that's my whole thing on the, I can't afford it. Yeah, it's quite incredible, that one, for people to not believe that they're going to get a multiplication in in terms of their investment in time and money uh, being an event. Because as you quite rightly said, it's not just about the content on display. It's also about the relationships and the the insight that you get from other business owners that oh, yeah. also allow you propel yourself forwards. Because, you know, people who are there, they will have you know, similar acquisition methods to you. You know, there's commonalities of where you're probably advertising in terms of online. You know, maybe people are doing AdWords or they're doing Facebook. And, you know, there's probably only two real ways that you sell to people. You know, you need to have a conversation with somebody in order to be able to, you know, sell to them. Or if you're not having a conversation with somebody, then you're having, a, you know, there's some kind of autonomous sale happening. Well, well either way, a conversation's say, occurring. Am I yeah, thinking? absolutely. Yeah, and argue. it can be, yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, you, you have conversations with people from various different types of businesses and they're totally relatable to you. Um, and that actually brings me on to like my third point of, of not coming, you know, the reason of not to come to an event is, uh, will this really work for my business? This isn't a business, you know, this isn't an event for lawyers. This isn't an event for, for e-commerce businesses. This isn't an event for digital, just specifically for marketing agencies. And, and people kind of get in the, you know, still, and this one surprises me more than anything else, still believe that their business is different. And to quote a Dan Kennedyism, your business isn't different. Um, <laughs> and it, it, absolutely, it, it absolutely isn't. Well, and this is and the so, fascinating part about what you were saying, you know, um, they can't afford it. And I kind of went hard on that and saying, yeah, you absolutely can afford it. Not only that, you, you can't afford not to be there. You know, that seems like, well, that's kind of a big statement to make about somebody questioning an event that they can't afford to go to. But what I was taking into consideration that you were just pointing out right there is that the very fact that the person is in a position where they're asking themselves, can I afford to attend this event, tells me that they must have responded to something that was about the event in some way, right? They must have been associated to or connected to the topic of that event in some way. And so if they get to the, the point at which they're having to answer that question of, can I afford this? They've already identified the fact that they need to have that event. They need to be there because otherwise, how did they get that far in the discussion? Mm. How did they get Absolutely. to that point where they're answering that question or asking that question to themselves? That by default, what we have to assume, and that's why I went so hard in on saying, yeah, the very fact that, that you're questioning that means that you need to be, if, you know, you, you can't afford not to be there is because you wouldn't have been at that point had that not been related to your business in some way. 
unless it was a totally cold call and has nothing to do with prior or past activity, you know, just out of left field. If, it, if you did any initiation at all in that process, whether it was to do business with the company that's not inviting you to the event or, you know, you went and looked up at the event and got to that point where you're making that buying decision, that inherently tells you that's probably something that you need. And that's one of the interesting things that I've discovered, Ollie, about businesses. A business is, is strangely like a living entity in that it wants to succeed. And it communicates to you almost at a subliminal level what it needs. And so most business owners, if they actually check their gut instead of their mind, would discover exactly what they need to be doing. And there wouldn't really be a question the way that it becomes a question because their mind starts getting in the way of what they know kind of in their soul, so to speak, or in their gut, in their heart, because the, the business is communicating that to them. So the fact that they got to that point was probably because in some way the business is communicating to them through experience and feedback that I need this. Will you go find it, yeah. get it to me, bring it back to me? I often find that listening to sales calls, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So, you know, good practice if you have a sales team or you have people talking to customers is to record those conversations and um, to play back some of those things. A common one is to people when they're making a, once the price has been presented or the investment has been presented in something, you know, somebody may say something like, well, what's the you know what's your guarantee with that and you know often the guarantee is well the guarantee is this if you carry on doing what you're going to you're doing you're going to get the same results you know that's that's the absolute guarantee of the, of the situation and often right. people are saying things like that almost like they're not really thinking about it they're just like i have no reason I have no other reason to, to say no to this. I should be saying yes to this. My gut is saying yes to this, but my mind is trying to conflict things by now throwing things out like, is there a guarantee? Is there this or what do I get here? Well, it's irrelevant. You, you know, is this thing going to move you from your current situation to your desired situation? And the thing that's missing, the thing that's in between those two things is the gap. And is this event going to fill part of that gap? And even if it only fills a small part of that gap, is it going to move me further forward to my desired situation? Yes. Okay, well, I don't need to, I, I need to make that decision and I need to, I need to commit. And we, we see that so often because other people, you know, that, that thinking is exactly the same as the, oh, will this work for me? Because, or, or should I attend this because I'm, you know, in... Uh, I'm an agency or I'm, you know, a, a, a consultant or whatever, because they're indoctrinated. At least some people are, especially some professional services businesses are too. Well, you know, they've got their industry association events and they've got these things that are put on by these, you know, associations or whatever they may be. And they are the worst places for you to go because if you do what everyone else is doing, you're going to get the same results. And let me tell you, probably they're not all getting great results. If you want to, you've got to look outside of your industry in, in any case and go where your competitors are not going to get to the source of this stuff and then apply it to your business. For me, what I'm always looking for is did this person dissect the problem? You know, if the person dissected the problem, my confidence in them goes up 
tremendously. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I'm considering that, I want to know, did the people take apart the issue that is at the core of what I'm struggling with? Did they take it apart and put it back together 20 times? And if they did, now I feel like if anybody's going to be able to help me get closer to the solution, it's going to be that person because they've actually spent enough time with the, the problem. Meanwhile, you know, I'm in my business, you know, I'm working the business. I may not have enough time to dissect the problem and do that. So if somebody has put themselves in a position where they can dissect that problem, that's someone I want to be listening to and learning from. Essentially, that's what we expect people to do in learning centers, you know, education is to dissect the problem and figure out how the problem functions and then come up with some sort of solution for it. But at the end of the day, this discussion we've been talking about, you know, learning and getting into a position where you can learn totally differently. But that really is very similar to a lot of the other buying decisions that business owners are having their, you know, their customers face. And I think if you get into it and you understand like what's going on and what, what stops people, now it gives you an opportunity to inoculate them against those problems that would prevent them from getting the best outcome for themselves. For example, in this event situation, someone that comes and shows up to one of these events that you're putting on is going to be much better off in their business than if they hadn't been to the event. And so it's in their best interest as well as yours to find out how to inoculate them against these, you know, these mind viruses, these bad thinking situations that go on. And so learning and talking about that can help you. And if anyone is listening to this discussion, what you can learn as well is that you need to think about the problem, the reason that people say no to uh, your situation and really understand it, dissect it, get into it. Don't be afraid to ask hard questions about it. Now we've been mostly focused on thinking that can disrupt your ability to make good decisions. But on the flip side of that, Ollie, I think there's also this um, responsibility you have as a promoter of something to better articulate what the value is that the person can get from it so that they're making decisions with the full context in mind. How do, you, how do you do that with your sales copy or whatever other mechanisms you use to communicate your message? Well, I think one of the things that, that we try and do is clearly articulate why this is different and that there's a, a, there's, there's, it's a new opportunity rather than an improvement. So we're not trying to improve their current situation. We're trying to provide a, a new opportunity, a new paradigm, a new a new way of looking at things that is different than what they may have experienced in the past, because that can also be an objection in itself of, well, I've been to other events like this before, and they've been pitch fests, there's multi-speaker, there's all of these things. And so why is this different? And then that in, in terms of how you set the event up is in, in, important to be able to articulate then really getting clear for who this really is for and who it is not for. And, you know, there are some generic things that come around who this is not for, but also to be very clear on who this absolutely is for and why, you know, they should be, why they should be attending as such. Um, I think that the content and the curriculum of the event also have a lot to do with the general pull and appetite for people that are reading what the event is. But here's the, here's the thing that I would say about the curriculum. What we do, we actually look at, we actually set the agenda and the, the presentations up first in advance before we write the sales copy. Yeah, and then what we do is, 
Yeah, because the reason why we do that is because we know what we, we need to deliver. We know what yeah. we need to deliver because we know what that is going to, we know what that's going to mean for the people that are in the audience. But when it comes then to writing the sales copy, we can then use that as feature and benefit statements to what they're actually going to get and feel as, as being part of the event. With I feel like you and your crew are much better at doing that. I tend to get a little lazy on that part. I didn't with our company that was a training company, you know, that was like all I did was focus on that. And we would come up with a list of what, what was it that we knew that the market wanted, you know, our customers, what did they need? And that's always, that has always been what drives what we're going to do in an event. And then that way I knew what I could promise and what I couldn't promise in the marketing. Right. But I feel like with some of our more recent events, even this event that we have coming up in January and another one in February, I don't feel like I've articulated really well why it's different. You know, who should, you know, what can you expect and what can you not expect from that event? So I'm going to have to go work on that. So this discussion has been good for me. But I yeah. feel like your team well, is, because think- you have a team specialized for that. You know, my team specialized for great customer support and delivering a, a good product and making sure it's it's up and working. Not really, you're like your team, your team specialized to actually deliver on marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I mean, to be honest, the, the key, and I think it's quite simple, is what's the big idea? I mean, this comes down to copy, copy really. Well, actually, it's not specifically copy. It's about an offer. Messaging. It's about, it's about messaging. It's about an irresistible offer. And so, you know, earlier this year, we had an event called the Automation Playbook Live. And, you know, that event isn't it, it there's a description as part of what it's actually called of what it actually is you know you've got automation and you've got this playbook word in there which some people don't get but then it allows us to explain what we mean by the word playbook and you know we can create these these machines these systems to create predictability certainty consistency throughout to create these dynamic lead to customer experiences in your business so that no lead is left and you know uh, is, is left out in the cold there's no leaky buckets imagine if you could you know you could think of all the things you know imagine if you could follow up with every single lead and prospect and customer and know that they are you know are choreographed into a perfect journey you know i'm appealing to people that have heard some of that stuff before but are not actually doing it so you know the theming of that event is to create their own playbook that's the big idea you know you create your own playbook for each division of your business so we can articulate in the copy in the other event that we did we it was called next level business live and really the the foundation of that event the essence of that event is to how to achieve double digit growth profitably year on year without working more and that that is a very simple sentence yeah, I like that, that I just but there's some things in it that just clearly say what the whole thing is set up for. And then we use the analogy of how to transform your traditional business to becoming a next level business. And of course, a next level business is one that then you start thinking about, okay, what's the mechanism to become a next level business to, you know, get double digit growth year on year profitably without working more. Well, that is through 
these four steps, these four pillars. And so that's the way we start thinking about it and start creating the the collateral for these things. Because you still have to know that although you're going to set your agenda up and put the curriculum together for the presentations, you have to know what your outcomes are that you want from the event. Because some people are going to come to the event and they're going to want to, you know, take everything that they can from the event. They're going to be present. They're going to listen. They're going to network. They're going to do all these things. And that's great. And they're going to have an enjoyable time and and that's all going to be nice. Then there's going to be some other people that are going to come to the event. They're going to go, I really love what I hear. How do we work with you now? How do we continue the journey together? And, you know, for some people, that's a, if you set it up correctly, then you're, you're leading people towards what the, the next step is with you as a business, because there's only yeah. so much you can cover in two days. Um, well, and I feel like and, you, you need to be thinking about, and especially if you're in a training situation, I know that's not applicable to everybody, but you can still use this concept, which is you need to be thinking about what does your customer actually want? What is their destination they're trying to get to? In your case, you've articulated that destination and they're like, yeah, that's where I want to go. And so the, the, the responsible thing to do as a business is to be able to take that person as far down that journey as you can, right? As you can well. If you can't take yeah. them all the way well, then you shouldn't try to take them all the way well. But if you can take them on the first three steps, then you should take them very well in the first three steps and then point them in the right direction from there. And so you, you have not just, I think, I believe you have an obligation then, if you're going to be in that business, to take them as far as you can take them well. And so that would include then, like you're saying, the ability for them to continue to do stuff with you after the event, if that's what you're able to do. Like I did an event with Troy in Orlando and after that event, some people did ask, you know, what can we do with you f- further? And I said, well, I, I can't do anything further right now because this is all I can do. And so I didn't take them further than that because that's all I had re- the ability to do well, right? I'm not, I, I wasn't set up for coaching then. I wasn't set up for like mastermind or anything like that. So I, it just didn't make sense for me to offer that just because the, the opportunity was right because I couldn't take them there well. But if I could take them there well, that would have been a natural thing to do. Troy was a better equipped for that. And so I think he, he was able to offer that to them and some of them took him up on that. And so that, you know, I think you do have an obligation to try and take people as far as you can towards their journey well. If you can't take them well, then I don't think you should do it. But that's just me. Now, yeah, we are going towards great. the end of our, our time. Yeah, yeah. And we've co- I think we've covered a lot of different topics. I think there's a lot of topics that you touched on and that we could go even further into. And so we're going to have to do this again, Ollie. If you're open to it and Absolutely. Uh, but i feel like as a matter of integrity you have to at least mention the four items and then maybe in a follow-up conversation we can go more in depth on some of them would that be yeah, okay sure. so, yeah so the, so the four are uh vision that's the first pillar which uh, we will go much deeper into what i mean by that because a lot of people get confused what we mean about that uh, beliefs principles mission vision values purpose and then how you how all of those things work together in actual executing on things that are important to move you forward so it doesn't to where stay you fluffy and, and wooey wooey yeah 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 there's nothing fluffy or wooey wooey with me uh, so really this is all the stuff that i've i've been able to use to uh, move things forward in short sharp order and bring other people along with me the next the second principle is assembling 
what we call a growth team so that you go from be, being a, uh, a mere operator inside of your business to actually being a, a CEO and, and leading a team of people or even having somebody else actually lead those people um and that growth team by the way in case you're wondering like always oh, talking about building a team and don't really want to do that that team can actually be a team of one it just shouldn't be you so we talk about how to create a business beyond just you oh, okay we're gonna have to come back and talk about that so we need to talk about those people that don't want to have a team because i think that there's some stinking thinking or mind viruses going on there because they don't really understand what it means to build a team. They have some misconceptions about what that means. So let's address that. Okay. Go on. Number three. Three is the uh, having an inbound selling system. And uh, for those of you who obviously know Ryan's stuff and also mine, um, we've got two very aligned ways in which we do this. Mine is the the phone funnel framework, of course, and the is it the appointment generation? Uh, it's autopilot system. appointment funnel. Is what autopilot trend. appointment funnel. Yeah. So we've got we've got two we've got two funky little ways of putting things across, but uh, we're both definitely well aligned on having an inbound yeah. selling system. They each have their um, own nuances. They do. Yeah, they do. We can talk and about then, that another time too, but. Go yeah, ahead. definitely. That would be and number four. And then number four is setting up your own automation playbook. So, you know, once okay. you you've led with your best foot forward and you have, you know, generated leads and you've sold to some of those people, how do you then follow up consistently to provide, you know, these the benefits that we have with marketing automation with these dynamic lead to customer experiences that follow up people very effectively. Um, okay, and let's let's do this because of the time. I think that it would be really cool if if we kind of delved into each one of those four as a separate interview. If you're open to that, because absolutely, yeah. I think it'd be beneficial for people listening because they could really get a feel for those because there's so much packed in each one of those. As you were laying those out, I was just biting my tongue because I'm like, oh man, there's so mm-hmm. much to go into there. And the reason, just so you know, the reason Ollie and I do this is because we've all been in the place where maybe some of you have been, where you're learning, you're growing, you're trying to figure out what's the, your next step. How do you grow your business? How do you become the master of it instead of the slave to it? And so we just want to help you out. And so we're hoping that as you go through these discussions that Ollie and I have, that you'll be able to get a better understanding of how to move your business in that direction. And I can tell you just from my perspective, we've had double digit growth year over year since we started, you know, obviously with our training company in 2007, that was, you know, from zero to 1.3 million the first year. And then it did double digit growth for as long as we were building it. And then same thing for, for fix your funnel and some, you know, some of these other companies that we have. And so we've seen that growth. And so we've been able to do that. And from that perspective, I can look and say, these four things have a lot packed into them, but they apply to the person who's doing like sub 100,000 all the way up to the person who's doing like 10 to 20 million, which is fascinating. That's a really neat framework you've come up with there, at least with those four pillars, because there's so much packed in each one of them. So I'm excited to delve into that. So Thank you so much for joining us today. Ollie and I will schedule those up and get those out so that you guys can hear them without having to wait too long. And thanks so much for joining me today, Ollie. This is great. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me.